following is a special presentation of the Buccaneers Sports Network. This is the Jay and Keith Show. Two broadcasters, two microphones, and one meticulously scripted podcast. You what? Just kidding. Get it, J.K.? You get it. That's what I thought was so funny. It's not funny. Alongside Keith Brake, here's the voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandoz. All right, it's Thursday. We're going to get you prepared for ETSU and the Walker Terriers. Jim Noble, good friend of the podcast. Good guy in general. We'll talk to him about the Walker Terriers. His thoughts on this year's squad, this year's matchup. And, of course, we'll go over the pick six in which Keith promises he will actually have six games to pick. We picked six last week. It was just five plus one. But five plus one, as you know, Jay, because... You can do third grade math is six. Yes. So normally we pick six and we actually pick seven. It's like the big ten with eleven teams in it. That's the one thing I you know, I'll leave you in charge of and that's what you do. That's all I'm saying. Don't I'm not gonna talk about all the things that you're in charge of that don't get done, so let's talk about football, shall we? We can. We can. <laughs> uh, one thing uh, again, Speaking of not getting it done, both teams on third down. Uh, yeah, these are these are two of the these are the two the, worst teams yes. in FCS on uh, third downs. The, they are uh, ETSU at sixteen percent, Wofford at eighteen percent. The only two teams in uh, FCS that's under twenty four percent, twenty three point seven. If you want to round up. So there are, I believe, there are one hundred twenty two ranked teams in FCS, Correct. right? In terms of statistics, um, yeah. Wofford is 121st, ETSU is 122nd in third down conversion percentage. Uh, I'm just looking elsewhere. ETSU, 43rd in rushing offense and 119th in passing offense. Wofford, 77th in rushing offense and 116th in passing offense. Terriers are 118th in scoring, and the Bucks are tied for 98th. So it's not going to be, I don't think, uh, a high-powered, high-scoring, end-to-end, what a bonanza. You know, get, get whatever it was, Roxy Bernstein, I think, at Cal. is like, oh, what a bonanza. Yeah, it's not going to be that. It's not going to be that. It's going to be a gritty, so, grind-em-out type of football game. So you don't think a repeat of last year's, which was not billed to be a shootout that ran into the 48th, 48 41, something like that. 48 uh, 41. Yeah. Shootout that that game was, which neither team, uh, I guess ETSU got caught a little bit early and scored 41, but Wofford had not. And as a matter of fact, Wofford set the passing record. You're going to go out on a limb and say you do not foresee 400 plus yards passing by uh, either quarterback or receiver today. Having watched ETSU's five games and having watched two and a half Wofford games, I'm going to say no. So I'm going to say pretty decisively, neither team will set a passing offense record in this football game. Honestly, I want them to just walk back the cut blocking rules for one game so that both teams can play the triple. I just think that would make this game a lot more fun. Uh, this, this is going to be, if you're a fan of offense, big chunk plays, all that, this game will be difficult for you to sit through. Um, but if you're looking to see ETSU get a win, this, this is one of the best opportunities of the year. Wofford will look at that the same way, and that's fair, but at the same time, uh, I don't think either of these teams is a team that looks at this game as some sort of automatic loss or something that they, they have no hope of winning or anything like that. It's like, well, well, just show up and see what happens. No, this is this is a game that both teams look at and say, we have a chance to win this. Let's Let's go win it. Yeah, Terriers, again, kind of some similar stats. Both teams down at the bottom, uh, third down conversion defense. Both teams down at the bottom as far as red zone defense goes. Uh, sacks against Wofford dead last. ETSU kind of middle of the pack there, but then sacks by Wofford a little better than ETSU. And I feel like considering that the run defense is going to be a little difficult uh, for both teams to come by. Rushing yards, Wofford seventh in yards given up, ETSU 
tissues are before brushing off and offering seven. So maybe tissue is a slight edge uh, in the run game. Although, to be honest, looking at three games for Walker, three full games of now wise, the run three for Walker, not bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I can honestly. Um, no, their defensive front plays hard. I, I said this on Tuesday. It's like looking in a mirror here. Um, this is a team that plays really hard up front on defense. Their corners don't dazzle you, but they play hard. Uh, offensively, uh, quarterback situation has gotten really bad for them very quickly, and their passing game has struggled. Uh, their run game, though, is okay. And when you look at ETSU, honestly, if I had just said that if I just left off the descriptors, if I had left off the names of these two teams, you couldn't tell me which team I was talking about. You could tell, you couldn't tell me, are you talking about Wofford? Are you talking about ETSU? Just based on your context clues, because both those teams had that same type of storyline throughout their first handful of games this season. So these teams are pretty nearly, not totally, but pretty nearly identical, and I think both teams are going to have. Um, a challenge on their hands, try to move the football. Yeah, I mean, ETSU is on average, again, Miriam is 258 total offense, ETSU 247 for Walker. Uh-huh. I mean, you just look at defense, 423, ETSU, you know, Walker's been a little better, 385. Um, third down, the conversion's already gone up. Uh, third down, opposing teams, conversions. Scoring is very similar. Uh, red zone offense. Wofford's 8 of 10 with four um, touchdowns. And ETSU is 10 of 14 with six touchdowns. Again, percentage-wise, both 50% touchdowns. Actually, I guess a little less for Wofford, four of 14. I, they're not good. I mean, there's a lot of things that – what is going to be the difference maker? I think both teams know that the other team is going to have a hard time throwing the football. They're all going to sell out against the run. So is it a matter of who can, A, convert third downs, which nobody can, or, B, is it the one that just can hit enough pass plays? I think I think that's what it is. I think this comes down to one or two busted coverages that a quarterback is able to get the ball out on time and hit a receiver, and that receiver turns in an explosive play. And it's going to be a couple of those – there, honestly, Jay, I'm not 100% sure there's going to be a touchdown scored in this football game. I think this could be like a like a 9-6 to six or 12-9 to nine type of deal. Uh, it is going to be ugly. It is going to be hard-nosed. And it is going to be a physical football game that's going to come down to one or two plays where one team's just able to hit something just hit something big that can get them 35, 40 yards, flip the field, and then grind your way down into field goal range and, and kick one. Uh, so Ewan Johnson's got to be ready. I did not think he had a spectacular week against Mercer. He's somebody that's got to be ready to go. You know that Brackett's going to be ready to go and special team and the punt coverage unit's going to be ready to go. Uh, your punt return unit has been okay this year. Uh, depends on who's back there a lot of times and uh, whether they have everybody available, uh, and your punt, your punt block team has been outstanding. Like Teddy Wilson has, I'm pretty sure he leads the country in block punts. He's got three, so I would be really, I would be really surprised if somebody had more than that. Uh, I don't know if that's tracked. I know New Hampshire as a team has five in five games. So once a game, the opposing team's punter has a code brown, and uh, they're. Um, <laughs> because they're just terrifying. So this is where special teams plays are going to make a difference. Uh, if a defense scores a touchdown, that team probably wins. If an offense hits a big play, I think that really – there are going to be small things in the grand scheme of a, of a three-hour football game that drastically alter the outcome of this game. It's going to come down to little stuff snowballing into big stuff. Field position, again, watching a little bit of the Wofford-Sanford game. Wofford had a couple of nice little 
drives problem was Sanford had him pinned down pretty deep. So, again, when you start at your 10-yard line and you gain 40 yards only get to midfield, very different than starting at the 40-yard line and gaining 40 yards in your field goal range. Or starting at the 20 and ending at the 27. Yeah, and kicking a field goal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the plus 20. And then <laughs> yes. So, uh, yeah, there, there's special teams, I think, uh, definitely going to be one of those things that hit in the yard in special teams penalties. Wofford's one of the most penalized teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, ETSU much better last game, although they had a two-game stretch where they were not very good uh, penalty-wise. Uh, last game was fine, but penalties, some of those extra yardage things, you know, somebody helping somebody, you know, in the field position game, rather, special teams, penalties, um, you know, not fielding a punt, letting a bounce, wh- whatever it is, I think all those hidden yardages is going to be a factor. ETSU was so good against Mercer and Al Wooten last week was averaging seven yards a carry. And yeah. as a team held them under two yards a carry. So if they can build off that, and then basically, you know, last year it was the cornerbacks and some of the injuries kind of happened. Last season it was sort of the same thing. Like, oh, my goodness, but I don't know that Wofford has anybody like Jimmy Wyrick that's going to be chunking the ball down the field no. as they, they have been. So – no, Sealy and Coriston, who have played most of the reps at quarterback for them. I think Sealy is the starter now. Coriston started the year, but Sealy is the guy right now. I just don't see that kind of performance coming from them. But also, again, ETSU is going to still have to stop the run because it's what Wofford's good at. That means Khalil Anderson and Mike Jenkins have to be able to win in man coverage. And it's not going to be as challenging as Ty James and Devron Harper, but it's still not going to be easy. And if you get beat, it's the difference between winning and losing the football game. So you got to really be on it. This is a game where uh, both teams' corners, I think, will get tested one-on-one, and whoever's corners are better, like I just talked about, with one busted coverage, one explosive play, could decide this football game. So whoever's team, whichever team's corners are better – is going to have a much better chance of winning the football game. And to give Wofford credit, you know, they're, I think, second in SoCon and interceptions with six. Furman has seven. And so if you, you know, you make a couple bad tosses out there, leave it up for grabs, they're very good at ball hockey. And they're plus one in the turnover margin, although ETSU the last several games have been great, uh, forcing turnovers, really not turning the football over. Yeah. Uh, you know, plus three against Sanford, plus one game, but they're still overall, I think they're minus two. So, again, turnovers, short fields, uh, field position games, special teams, and then, you know, can it come down to field goal kick? You know, Ewan Johnson had his struggles in the, you know, kind of the camp and the scrimmages, but then, you know, hadn't, hadn't missed any, and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, two, four, and it seemed like whenever he was on that left hash mark kicking towards the hillside, he pushed uh, both those uh, to the right, so I'm sure that's something that he's going to work on for ETSU and, and Robert Riddle, or Will Riddle, excuse me, William Riddle, not Robert, the older brother, but the younger brother, William Riddle, yes. is going to be given the ball and an opportunity to try to make something happen. And I think the smart thing for me was hearing Coach say, look, we're just, you know, we're, we're going to let him make some mistakes early. And yeah. not pull him and all that. Because and, and I asked George that on Monday, too, at the press conference, and he said, we're going to pick one guy, and it's probably going to be Riddle. Um well, he didn't say this. He said Riddle will probably be the starter uh, against Wofford. And I asked him, Is, are you going to manage it? Is it going to be a quick hook? Are you going to pick one guy and let it ride? And he said, we're going to let it ride with, with Riddle um, if that's who ends up being the guy at the end of the week. So I would expect, yeah, they're gonna you're going to see some mistakes out of the quarterback early. And it's going to be about how he settles in. What can he do late as he starts to get more comfortable? He put a ball where I think it was Will, I think it was Huzzy, I think it was Riddle that, that threw it. That Huzzy made just a phenomenal catch uh, right along the sideline. That might have been Dorsey, but I thought it was Riddle. And um, yeah, you you that's your guy, right? Is 
is you're, you're going to pick one guy, and that guy's going to be your guy, and that's going to be it. Uh, you're going to let it go, and if he if he makes mistakes, if he makes bad throws, if he turns the ball over, to some extent that's just where ETSU is at quarterback right now because you're starting a walk-on. Yeah, it's whatever direction they go, they're starting a walk-on. You know, and one thing about Riddle, I thought he threw the ball to Christian Mathis on a third down to give the Bucks an opportunity to kick a field goal. It was a really fun ball. Um, they targeted ETSU. several times thought um, should have been a holding or interference or whatever, but, you know, after the first couple is not being called, you know, you just got to go mm-hmm. go make the play. And so hopefully, you know, you're looking to toss a few up, tossing them two or four up can't be uh, that bad of an option, or at least to me. But can ETSU get a defensive or special teams touchdown? That's uh, kind of what the coaches, I think, jokingly, but yet in all seriousness, said was, you know, Maybe. As opposed to, uh, you know, just falling on the football. Kind of like the block punt. Kind of, it was a little bit of a deflation for me in the call when I realized that ETSU was not going to score on the second block punt. Yeah. Because the ball popped up in the air with about five blockers in front, and then nobody could kind of handle the football, and they just had to jump on it as opposed to scoring. And it kind of felt like that was, oh, man, we're going to get it. We're going to get lucky. Did not. But they did not. Well, this is this has all been uh, a well and good pursuit, but I think we should make this broadcast, make this operation, this podcast a little bit more noble. What do you think? I think Jim Noble is standing by, and he's ready to join us, the voice of the Wofford Terriers. you taking the time on Jay and Keith and look forward to hosting you up here on Saturday. It's been a while, hasn't it? Uh, because of COVID and then uh, my son's graduation, which is not your fault. Um, I haven't been to the stadium since 2019. So you're going to have to lay some breadcrumbs uh, so I get to the broadcast booth and all that. I still have nightmares about that. I think that was, I think Joe Newman had like five touchdowns or something crazy. <laughs> something like that, yeah. It was a, quite quite a, a nice game for Joe, but a nightmare game uh, for myself and probably Billy Taylor on the defensive side of things. Well, let's talk about this year's Wofford uh, uh, Terrier team because they're similar to ETSU, and are, you can't run from facts. Both these teams are the two worst uh, converting on third downs uh, in the nation. And I know what ETSU's problem is. What is Wofford's issue on third down? Boy, it's been a combination of things. Um, not protecting the quarterback. Freshman quarterback. We'll talk more about Pauly Sealy a little bit. Um, but the last two weeks, they've had the dropsies. They've had, um, I mean, Sealy's put the ball on the money. And for whatever reason, uh, our receivers have not been catching the football. And they'll be the first to tell you these are catches they should make. Uh, it doesn't help that uh, Whoppers without their two top receivers, uh, Kyle Pinnix and Kyle Watkins. Watkins is out for the year with a broken leg. Pinnix has had some uh, upper body injuries, and he most likely won't play, although that remains to be determined. Also, the, the sophomore running back, Kyle Parsons, uh, hurt an ankle. Uh, he was so con all freshman last year, so if your name is Kyle you're pretty much uh, out with injuries. Three Kyles on the bench, probably for this game, although Pinnock's might be more of a game time decision. So that's really been the problem is, is you know, a lack of weapons and then the guys next man up just don't really all season long with the exception of the Chattanooga game, they just haven't done the job on third down. Uh, Jim, when I talked to Sean Watson at media day, he said quarterback was going to be a, a piece that was need, that would need some time to, to kind of figure it out. Uh, and Corriston had an injury earlier this season, uh, but Seeley uh, has been uh, okay, I guess, for, for a freshman being thrown into the fire. Uh, what do they like about Paulie Seeley the fifth, and, and, and is he somebody that could grow into that role over time, or do you think this is something that, that the, the Terriers need to go back to the drawing board? I think if you ask the 
coaches right now, Pauly Feely is the long-term answer at quarterback. He's only a freshman. Um, he's really, really, if you look at it, only thrown one interception in four games. And, and, and the other one he threw, and the other two he threw were both deflected. Those drops that I was talking about, ball right on the money, and it deflected off somebody's hands right to a defensive player. So he's certainly more of a game manager right now. They're not asking him to do a ton, but they increase his workload a little bit every game. The, 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 I think the thing you guys will see on Saturday, he's poised. He doesn't get rattled. He's a little indecisive when to pull the ball down and run. He's definitely a pocket passer right now and not much running threat. That remains to be seen. Keep in mind, he'll only be playing his fifth college game. Yeah, fifth college game uh, when we're in Johnson City on Saturday. So I think he's the long-term guy. But as you mentioned, Bryce Corston, the senior, came in and has a hamstring injury. Probably won't play, but he's making good progress. Then they got a third quarterback they were very high on at one point. Kate Rice transferred from South Dakota State. But he, A, struggled learning the offense last year. He had a shoulder injury in training camp this year, and he's really just kind of entrenched as the number three right now. Uh, how much has the run game, because the numbers in the run game look pretty good, how much has the run game helped Sealy get a little more comfortable each week? And, and do you think it's just a matter of once he gets to critical mass of reps and experience that the other pieces are there for this offense to, to really start clicking? Yeah, we, you know, we see that. But we've said that every week, guys. We've said, oh, they're so close. They're so close. <laughs> and something happens. Um, you know, Jay mentioned third down. That's probably the biggest concern. I mean, third downs were brutal. They were one for 14 against Sanford last weekend. Um, that, protecting the quarterback, one game, you know, six sacks against Chattanooga. And then penalties have been a horrible problem until last week against Sanford. So if you could ever get a game where instead of one thing jumping out and being the huge problem, you kind of level off all of those, yeah, they, they, they've got a chance to win. But, but right now, you keep in mind, you, you went through the coaching transition last year. Um, you've still got fifth-year seniors who were on offense who were recruited to be in a triple option system. You know, So it's, you, you don't turn around an ocean liner and, in five minutes, you know, it's been a big process, and, you know, having a, a one in ten season two seasons ago, and then a coaching change last year, and then 0-6 oh this season, that that starts to wear on people, and probably doesn't help recruiting and things like that, so it's going to be a long process. Well, certainly, when you look at this game, both teams looking for the first Division One win, first Southern Conference win, both teams think they got a great shot. When you turn on the tape of ETSU defensively, very good against the run. They held Al Wooten, who's averaging seven yards, to, to under three. They held Mercer as a team under two yards per carry. But it's easy to turn around and see what Sanford was able to do with the deep ball, what Mercer was able to do with the deep ball, and Ty James. So what do you think maybe could give in this game? Is this a situation where, you know, uh, for a young quarterback and Paul Seeley, that he can kind of fi- find some success because obviously the weak link right now in ETSU's defense is the man-to-man defense that ETSU likes to play with the press corners. Yeah, I think for Whopper, it's first down. They, they've got to, they can't get behind the sticks. If you're looking at second and eight, third and nine, whatever, things like that, they just, they can't convert the long third and longs. That, that's just been patterned all year. Um, they've got to get yards on first down. They're, they're going to they're gonna use the run to set up the, the, the pass, but they'll they'll throw on first down too. Um, I think that's that might be the key for both teams, guys, because Wofford has been pretty good against the run against some good batsmen. Held Alan Ford to 37 yards on 13 carries against Chattanooga. They you know, didn't hold Chase Stanton down, but that, you know, defending the run when Sanford's flinging the ball all over the place is a, is a different equation. Um, they played a great defensive game against William & Mary, one of the better FCS teams in, in, in the nation um, in week two. So, yeah, I, I do, I know it's oversimplifying things to just say whoever can establish the run is going to win this game. I think it's true in this case. Well, I think when you watch again, Wofford on tape, I think you look at the the front three, and they do a great job 
of just kind of doing what they're supposed to do in that 3-4 defense, right? They eat up space. They kind of clog things up, let the linebackers run. But what impresses me is that if they have an opportunity to reach out there and make a play, they are tremendous at that, and they're great at getting pressure on the quarterback, which has been a flip side for ETSU, a struggle keeping the quarterback upright. Yeah, they moved from last to fifth in the, in the conference in, in total defense, which doesn't sound like you know world beaters, but it's, it's certainly an improvement. Um, they've also taken the ball away. They've got you know six takeaways, and that's after none last week. Um, against, excuse me, one. They've had seven takeaways, one last week in Sanford. So they've proven they can do those two things, get to the quarterback a little bit and, and, uh, and take the ball away. You look over the Wofford defense, they're not, there's no glaring weaknesses. They just, guys, they're on the field all day. <laughs> you know, um, when you're on the field 35, 38 minutes a game, it, it wears on you. And they try to roll a lot of guys in there, especially on the defensive line. They're, they're pretty deep at, at linebacker and defensive back, but it's, it becomes a numbers game. Um, Sanford snapped the ball 83 times last weekend. I mean, you can be offense like that in 83 plays, and they are going to score more than 30 points. So, yeah, that's just going to happen. So, again, it, the two work hand-in-hand. The defense is playing great, but they can't be on the field all day for water to, to have a chance. With the special teams being the other thing I was going to touch on a little bit, it seems like you got, you know, some of your normal returners aren't there, so it's a new return game. Uh, hunting, uh, it's hard to judge because a couple games I've seen, either the weather's been atrocious or you had horrific wind going one way or another. So kind of uh, walk me through how you assess Wofford special teams. Yeah, two brand-new kick returners because of the injuries of receiver that we talked about. So you've got uh, a couple of new guys back there, Amir Adore, who's a you know, who's a defensive back, who was also a punt returner now, too, and Alec Holt, who's a receiver that will only be doing it for his second game. The kicking game's very interesting. Um, Wofford's got a punter, Atkins Roberts, who has four punts over 60 yards this year. He's also got four points under 25 yards this year. Hold on, series yelling at me here. Sorry. Um, it's very intermiss with Atkins, and he was actually benched for half a game. Derek Cagle punted a couple of weeks ago. Uh, then he goes out against Sanford, moves a 70 yard, rolls dead on the three. So, feast or famine with a punting game. Bridger Jones has been pretty consistent, seven for eight for field goals, and has a missed a PAT in high school or college. That's why I probably just jinxed him there. Jim, uh, this is year 1.5 for Sean Watson. Uh, what's What have people liked about what he's brought to the program? Because I know a big priority for him was kind of bring love of football back to, to Wofford and pride in the program back. It's, it's tough to do that when you're you know winless halfway through the season, but do you think he's taken some positive steps in rebuilding the culture around Wofford football? Yeah, I think that's a good point. There was He had to Safe travels coming up on Saturday. Look forward to seeing you, my friend, and uh, we'll talk to you then. Always a 
see you Saturday. The best games of the week, or at least the ones these two dorks want to watch. It's the pick six. You pick that up all by yourself. All right, picking six, but we're actually picking seven because we only pick we pick six games that I pick that I select. We each pick a winner, and then we get one at the end that doesn't hurt us if we get it wrong, but helps us if we get it right. All right, <clears throat> week seven. By the way, standings refresher. Sandos. Coming back around, 21, 21 and 17. I am uh, 27 and 12. All right, let's begin week seven at the 50-yard line with an absolute gem, a SoCon game. We got SoCon games of intrigue to talk about. How about VMI at the Citadel to get it started? The uh, military, was it the military college, college milita- military college classic of the South? Is that what they call it? Yes. Military college classic of the South. I wasn't sure if it was just military classic of the South or the college military classic of the military college, Argyle Gargoyle, the, the military the mili- college classic of the well, South. It's just military classic of the South. It is just military classic, classic of, of the, the South. South. Yes. <clears throat> I think you stumbled through that enough, I, you got me confused and then I had to. Uh, Rubber baby buggy bumper bowl. Yeah, That's all, what all, I've got. All of that. It is the 79th installment of it, by the way. Yes. Uh, VMI, a little bit of a better year so far. Massey says key debts, 21-20 on the road, 52% chance to win it. Well, I, you know, I will say that the Citadel last week, offensively much better. Actually got in the red zone five times uh, now, only scored twice. But I thought five times against the Furman Paladins, it's, it's pretty solid for the Citadel. So they are starting to slowly under – Strings leadership, get some things going offensively, trying to figure it out, always competing. This is a game they'll be jacked up for, and the cadets, uh, VMI, the Kedets, will drive their folks down in buses, and there will be plenty of folks there, a lot on the line. And it's very tempting if you're going to take the Citadel to take them here, but unfortunately, they still haven't shown enough offensively. I think this will be a game where the Kedets can get in the end zone three times and it be something 21-14, Kedets. VMI is coming off the bye here. And typically teams coming off the bye are more successful. They're coming off the bye into their biggest rivalry, into their best chance for a win remaining on the schedule, arguably. Yes, the Citadel is better. This game will be competitive. It will be, cl- it will be a fourth-quarter game. But I'm with you, VMI, to prevail on the road. 40-yard line, Furman at Sanford. And this is this was thought to be the game in the Southern Conference this year before the season began. Sanford's come back around a little bit. They're back to 500. Massey says 31-29. Furman, 53% chance to win. One thing about Sanford, again, watching their last game, against Wofford, it's been rough early starts for Michael Hires. And I just feel like, matter of fact, he made a pass that was very unlike him. I stopped you what you were doing, made you come into my office and watch the throw. Yes. That was behind a wide-open receiver that I don't think he normally misses. And honestly, when it got late second quarter, through the fourth quarter, he hit every single one of those passes. I don't know why it takes Hires so far this year a while to get going, but he does. And I think some of it is because that offensive line is not particularly great. And as the game gets on, they have more offensive plays, as we heard Jim Noble last segment talk about. And so when you're out there that long, then the pass rush is no longer there. And then he can stand in the pocket and pick you apart. The problem is I don't think Furman's going to get tired. I don't think Sanford's going to have the ball that much. I think Hires is going to turn the ball over a lot early. And then I think Hires will catch fire and make it a game late. But it will be, you know who, to pick up the dime. Mm-hmm. The Furman Paladins. The Furman Paladins. I have a question. Do you think this is the second best defense or the third best defense that Sanford has faced in uh, seven games? Oh, it's a good question. Because uh, Auburn uh, is obviously the best. Right. I would start there. Um, it is, and Western Carolina, 
No, no Kennesaw. They didn't play Kennesaw. They played their other game. I mean, the other game was Chattanooga. Like this is the last of the the heavy hitters in the SoCon that the Citadel or not. Sorry, that Citadel that Sanford plays. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, sorry, I was thinking Furman played Kennesaw. You're right. Yeah, sorry, no, Furman played. Sanford, is this Sanford the Sanford second played. or third best defense that Sanford has played? I'm gonna say it's second best defense. I think so too because Blackshear looks like the player we all thought Cam Brown would be at Chattanooga at the beginning of the year. Uh, I just there's there's a lot of playmakers all over this defense. They hit hard. They play with intensity. Yes, they're going on the road. It is, um, as much as Dr. Nolan liked to talk about the quiet environment at Chattanooga, as you experienced at Sanford, it is a very quiet environment. It's a library down there. You've got to bring your own energy. Furman's the kind of team that I think can do that. So I'm also going to take the Paladins to win. 30-yard line, Youngstown State at South Dakota. Both of these teams have wins over top ten opponents this season. Neither of them is in the top ten, I don't believe, in the um, Fans Nation or the Stats uh, Top 25 polls, which is a source of controversy. I don't want to. I don't want to. Um, I don't want to get too deep in the weeds on polling, but I vote in one of them and not in the other. So. Uh, South Dakota, Massey says 26-24, 53% chance to win at the Dakota Dome. Yeah, and I know it's a, a surprising win, not just a surprising win last week for Youngstown, but it's how they did it. Right, wasn't it just a, a walk away? 31-7, I believe. Yeah, just a, a No, I'm sorry, 31-3. Southern Illinois didn't even score a touchdown. Yeah, so that's what is impressive, I think, coming out of that game was not just they beat the Salukis, but how – they beat them. That being said, you know, this is more – I love how you, you pick a few of these games that you know a lot more about these teams overall than I do, which I enjoy. Put me at the disadvantage. Uh, but – I swear, I, you whine more about this course, segment course than anything that we Well, it's because we I'm losing, let's be honest. If I was winning, this would be the greatest segment of all time. So, uh, I like to be a front runner. But I – man, I, you know, I don't know a lot. I know I struck gold with Northern Iowa – win at Youngstown, so I wasn't quite convinced on Youngstown, and for some reason I'm still not convinced about Youngstown, but I could also see where the South Dakota, if you're, you're looking at sort of who they played, yes, they knocked off North Dakota State, but I mean, they beat St. Thomas, they beat Lamar, they beat Murray State, so yes, they do have the big road win, and, uh, you know, Youngstown, you look at, gosh, you look at theirs too. This one, I think, is going to be one of the more entertaining games. I mean, beat Robert Morris, Valpo, again, they didn't really, you know, lost to Ohio State expected. Northern Iowa was a good game. Lost I was right down to the wire. It was chaos. Yeah, that was a, that was a great game. Uh, so, I could say Youngstown State probably has been uh, better tested than South Dakota, but Youngstown State is going on the road, and you know I love home teams, so I'm going to ride the home uh, South Dakota. I... I really want to pick Youngstown State here. I really want to pick Youngstown State because their rush defense showed up in a big way last week. I mean, honestly, their whole defense showed up in a big way last week. But let's, I mean, call, call it what it is. Southern Illinois ran the ball for 41 yards. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They ran the ball for a net of uh, minus six yards. They ran the ball for a net of minus six. No, 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 no. I got that math wrong again. It's six yards. Nick Baker ran for minus six yards. The team ran for six yards rushing the football. And they only threw it for 94. Um, Youngstown State's defense came to play. They had a fire in their bellies. I think Doug Phillips, the former principal of Dixon County High School, is got them keyed up and ready to go. And this team is going on the road into an environment where they're going to be tested, but they just seem to thrive on the big games. Uh, this is going to be down to the wire. We need a little bit of a differentiator here. I think their offense is starting to round into form as well, and their defense got a lot, took a big step forward last week. Youngstown's a different team at home versus away, but this is the moment, I think, where the Penguins, the Gwins, establish themselves as a team not to be overlooked in the Valley, give me Youngstown State. The Yotes over the Gwyns over the Yotes. 
20-yard line, North Dakota State at North Dakota. The in-state rivalry that nobody at North Dakota State wanted for a long time, uh, which produced a really exciting game in Grand Forks a couple of years ago, and plans to produce another one, I would say. North Dakota State, according to Massey, 31-24, 71% chance to win. I don't think nearly that many points will be scored in this football game, but you go right ahead, Jay. What do you got? Well, uh, I'm going to go the Keith Brake theory. North Dakota State has one game a year where something goes awry. You're not sure what's happening, so I'm going to go North Dakota State. No no thought process other than you have preached that for many years, yep. and I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with the Bison, too. I, I just I think this one That was a terrible 20-yard line if we both just were that easy. Yeah, I, it's going to be entertaining, though. I, I think this the, the is, defense for this North Dakota, game, by the way. Have you watched some of that? I mean, the, just some of the touchdowns they produced defensively, a fumble rec- uh, recovery. Yeah, I know. That's, that's, so. that, is, that is explosive uh, defense. And actually, you know what? Mm. Mm. You're trying to tempt me, aren't you, Sandos? You're trying to tempt me into. You're doing no such thing. You're trying not. to tempt me into UND. And I'm trying to search for my other uh, game while you're doing this, too. Because, of course, I was unprepared for the same segment we do every single week at the same time. Can I, can I pick North Dakota? No. No, 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 no. I'm sticking with North Dakota State. I'm sticking with North Dakota State. Bison prevail. Uh, it's ugly. This game is ugly. There is a defensive touchdown scored in it. Uh, I think North Dakota State wins this game like 14-10 to 10 or 14-13, to 13, maybe 17-13, something like that. This is a low-scoring, ugly, gritty, grind-em-out football game. But North Dakota State goes up to Grand Forks and gets the win for the second time in as many trips. Ten-yard line, Chattanooga and Mercer. I don't even, I'm not even going to put Massey on this one. No, 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 no projections. We know what Chattanooga can do. We know what Mercer can do. Uh, and I think I know where I'm going to go, but I'm going to let you go first because I know where you're going to go. But I just want to hear you rationalize it. You know, last year I gave you the exact reason why Chattanooga would win. The only reason I didn't take them was because I just can't take Chattanooga, which is why you generally put them in, in a lot of games. But <laughs> I knew that Mercer had a lot going into the emotional game of ETSU from the year before. And then you could tell they were kind of drained, and Chattanooga just wore them out. I think now Mercer flipped it, and they had that game scheduled. Of they got kind of embarrassed right after uh, wearing out ETSU that they were going to do it. Chattanooga is interesting because they're not running the football, but they're way more balanced. Um, they're still getting, give or take, uh, you know, 55% passing, 45% running. The yardage totals with Artopius is quite ridiculous. Um, I think they had 45 passes at 39 rushes last game against um, Western Carolina for the 84 play total. There's a lot that I think Chattanooga does offensively that is way better than they've been in the last several years. What's shocking and what concerns me in this one is defensively, they just keep giving up a ton of plays, especially on the back end, and home run plays to a lot of different teams. So that being said, I think that Mercer's had this scheduled, and they really want at home, and they're much better at home than they are on the road. They've got this game scheduled. They're circled on the schedule for everything they did. If I didn't hate the mock so much, I think I could possibly give them a shot in this one because I do think they have enough firepower where Mercer doesn't have enough firepower um, to score a bunch of points. I just can't, in good faith, take Chattanooga in anything. So you're going to take Mercer? Yes, but not because I think Mercer's going to win the game. Just I can't, on record, take Chattanooga. By the way, I do want to clarify one thing. Um, I did have several people send me messages about Rusty Wright. I'm not trying to get you on soapbox. I want to stay on, say on the record, I am not in favor of firing Rusty Wright. In fact, gave that that I was pitching them to fire him. I was just reporting, again, with all the contacts that me and Keith have, from other media members of stuff that they hear that's going on there. So for the record, I am anti-firing Rusty Wright. I don't know. Uh, I, I, I think apparently I had a people confused because I brought it up when we talked about it. Maybe I didn't just specifically say it, but I am going to say 
I am not in favor of firing Chris Reichman. Just saying that people down there are saying if he doesn't make the playoffs, he's in trouble, which is ridiculous. And I agree with that. And although, yes, I do play the card of the Hill guy that is anti-Chattanooga everything, I am uh, smart enough and realistic to know that he should not be fired if he goes six or seven wins this year. So I'm going to lay out. Uh, I'm going to lay out my thought process on this game. Uh, I'm going to let you say all, all of that. I just. I'm probably going to agree with whatever your thought process is on this game. By the so way. here's the deal. Um, I don't think Chattanooga's bal- offense is balanced at all. I think Chattanooga is an extremely explosive passing team, and they are a mediocre running team. And just because they put the ball in a limb for its hands a lot and he doesn't go anywhere doesn't make them a balanced team. Um, I look at Chattanooga as a team that can move the ball reliably through the air, which means they can move the ball in chunks. They can be explosive. Mercer is a team that struggles with running the football but throws the ball reasonably well and specifically throws the ball reasonably well to Ty James, and Ty James can win consistently against just about anybody in the country in man coverage. Um, So this is going to be a high-scoring game is what I think. I think this is going to be a game that's played in the upper 20s and the low 30s. This is going to there's going to be a lot of points on the board. Mercer's going to hit their big plays. Chattanooga's going to hit their big plays. But in the end, this is the game where Chattanooga's run game starts to come alive because you cannot stack the box against Chattanooga. You have to drop a number of guys back in coverage in order to respect what they can do with Artopius in the vertical game. This is the one where a limb forward turns the corner, and Chattanooga still can hit their explosive plays in the pass game. I think they do still have more weapons. I think they do still have a more effective offense. And unlike what ETSU was uh, – I'm like, well, ETSU was not able to drive the field last week. ETSU was not able to move the ball with any consistency. Chattanooga can. Chattanooga will. And Mercer will struggle with that. But I do think this one comes down to the wire and the Mocs get the win in a very entertaining, high-scoring football game. Again, I, I agree. I just can't say the words mocks and win. I just, I just can't Just do move it. the S. Mock wins. And then, it, then you're talking about women's basketball. I just can't do it. Mock wins. Mock wins a lot. Mock's going to win a lot. Can't do it. She's going to win a lot. She's going to beat the Mocks. Although, again, I'm going to say that uh, I agree. I, I would rather lose to Keith than admit that I think Jennings is going to win a game. What do you think of that? I'll take that. I'll take that. Uh, goal line, Montana at Idaho. The Grizz have been a little, little choppy, but they got to win over UC Davis. How good is UC Davis? I think is still an open question, but getting that dub for them was a big one. And Idaho is packed. The Kibbe Dome is actually sold out for this game. I thought last night they played Sac State. That would have been the big one. Montana is the big one. It's going to be rocking in there. What, 16,000, 17,000 at the Kibbe Dome to watch the Vandals play the Grizz. Yeah, I, I'm, I've bought Idaho for a few weeks. Not that I'm not buying Montana. I just, I'm not seeing them have enough firepower to go in. All right, here, 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 because I'm going to pick the Vandals. I'm going to pick the Vandals as well. I want How many points does Idaho win this game by? Since we picked, we've, we've done too much consistency. We've, 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 picked, we've picked the same team three times in the pick six this week. So let's do something a little different. How many points does Idaho win this game by? Because we both think Idaho's going to win. 17. Ah, dang it, that's a good number. Um, I think Idaho scores. This, this this is what Eck does. Eck loves to run the the gadget garbage. As what I, as what I, as what I called it when he was the offensive coordinator at South Dakota State because I had to like Jack Rabbit. Um, he runs stuff that if you drew it up on a chalkboard, it would look like the stupidest thing you've ever seen, but it completely catches defenses flat foot flat footed because it's totally unscouted. It involves some weird mechanical thing that a running back pass or a double pass, he's going to have something up his sleeve. 
The Vandals score on the opening drive, and Montana folds, and the Vandals win this game by 28. Ooh, I like it. That, because Montana folded against Northern Arizona at the Walk-Up Sky Dome in front of a crowd that's three times the size against a team that's three times as good. What do you think is going to happen? Vandals in a blowout. I'm fired up. PAT, what do you got, Sandos? Well, I was going to go uh, a couple different routes. I thought maybe Tarleton. I thought maybe uh, the Jayhawks, Rock Chalk Jayhawks at Oklahoma State. But I'm going to go the team that was a laughingstock of college football last week. The Hurricane Rodas of Miami of Florida <laughs> at North Kakalaki. Miami over UNC. Yeah, Massey, if you want the official, where did it go? I just no. I can give you that. You give me yours, and I'll tell you what it is in a second. I found it. Uh, seven and a half, they say. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go real bold. I'm going to go real bold because I think Massey is wrong about a team. I think Massey is wrong about the Wagner Seahawks. They are on the road tonight at St. Francis. The game is on CBS Sports. It's the first ever linear televised football game in the history of the NEC, and Wagner is going to win it. Wagner wins over St. Francis in Pennsylvania tonight. Is it bold, Cotton? Yes, it is. I agree. It's a bold strategy. Let's see if it works for you. All right. That's uh, that's our show. We talked about the Wofford Terriers. We talked to Jim Noble. We did pick six. We'll be back Tuesday recapping the Wofford Terriers and the rest of the Southern Conference. I think we had all the Southern Conference games on the uh, pick six this week. They were all entertaining. Yeah, we had we had three SoCon games. Yeah, because Western's off. And Western's we, on the bye. And we talked about ETSU Walker. We talked about ETSU Walker. There, 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 there you go. It's almost like the show is SoCon-centric. We could use a few more of those. I would love some rival pods. I want Pod Banner. I want the, the equivalent of Dan Levitard calling into Dan Patrick's show, but for SoCon Podcasts. There's not enough of them out there in the SoCon. I wish there were. We would welcome that. We would welcome that, just as we welcome you. But now we say goodbye on Jay and Keith. Now you're